Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be going over the OKC Blue Rio Grande Valley Vipers game as well as the Thunder Cleveland Cavaliers game. I know I was going to get out to you guys like some sort of weekend like one-off thing. I'm be honest I'm a little short on time right now. I'm going to try to get that out soon, so, you know, stay ready for that. I'm really sorry for not uh, getting it out to y'all, but I, I think hopefully I can make it up for you guys. I'm not going to be talking about previews for 30 minutes, so I got you two game recaps. Now, I'm just going to go in chronological order because, I mean, the blue game, is uh, it, went, it was like 10.30, I believe, and the Thunder game started at 6, so once this Cleveland Cavalier game ends... I'm just going to be going right at it and and giving you guys the recap of that one. So it's going to be more one of those like live, like right as it happens kind of deals. This one might be a pre-recorded, um, but yeah, might have recorded this uh, at like 2 p.m., but whatever. Anyways, just going into the blue game though, I mean, they were coming in this one as one of the top dogs in the league sitting at five and one not many teams are better than them there's only one team that is undefeated right now and that's the delaware bluecoats that may be subject to change come tomorrow morning or come today i mean nighttime i guess but whatever anyways thunder or the blue they're one of the best of the best and the valley vipers i mean you can't really underrate them either because they have one of the best players in the entire g league right now and kevin Porter Jr. He was amazing with the Cavaliers in his rookie campaign, showing off pretty much every single level of scoring you would expect out of someone who could be a cornerstone or a major piece in your future. Already saw what happened to him, ended up having to be moved. Rockets got him for nothing, and they just want to throw him down to the Vipers squad, get him some minutes, and maybe build up some teammate chemistry so you're not just immediately launching him into the lion's den with uh, your main core group of guys because if it blew up there, you're kind of screwed. Kevin Porter Jr. is not going to be part of your future. So I could totally see why they wanted to bake him up and kind of groom him down here in Orlando. And it's been working because he has been balling out. In this game, he was stopped a little bit short though because the OKC Blue were able to defeat the Valley Vipers 125-1. to Fourteen. So OKC, they're up to six and one. There is only, I believe, two or three teams that have that same record. And you got the Delaware Bluecoats who are undefeated. A loss tonight means there is a four-way tie for the number one seed. And they have not played. The Thunder have not played any of the three teams that would be in that competition. It would be the Erie BayHawks, the Austin Toros, and the Delaware Bluecoats. They play the Bayhawks, I think, pretty soon, so that might be a cool game to kind of just see, like, a positional battle in the standings. Same goes with uh, the others as well, but yeah, great time on the schedule. Just looking at it from today, though, they got a new piece back in Josh Hall. He did not make his debut up until Sunday, which is kind of crazy to think about. He seemed like he was good to go, like, when he was with the Thunder, I think his only injury was like due to health and safety protocols. And if you're going to be in the Orlando bubble, you can't really be having issues with that kind of stuff, at least to originally get admitted into it. Maybe 
once you come down with something, you're in quarantine. But to get in there, yeah, you can't be on the health and safety protocols. So able to get in. We don't really know what the injury was, but glad to see him back. He didn't play a lot of minutes, but it's completely fine because other people were able to get it done. And in the first quarter, the blue, they got hot again. They keep getting hot. Nobody can stop them for like the first five minutes of the game. And they had a 17-3 lead to kick things out of the gate. Like, are you kidding me right now? The Vipers, however, they actually were able to bite back. And they had a 27-12 run of their own. And they were actually leading through the first 12 minutes. They were up a single point. 30 to 29. OKC, they were kind of just working from everywhere to start out the game. And I think they were trying to kind of hone in on limiting Moses Brown inside. And whenever that happens, the team kind of gets rattled a little bit. So they resort to the three ball. And once the three ball doesn't get going, you kind of run into problems. So the Vipers made a really safe bet in just trying to stop the paint, stop Moses Brown, Yurt 7, all that. And it worked. So. They got it going from downtown to help them out a ton. But there was still one man on the blue who they could not stop. And it was the Blues' first-round pick, Xavier Simpson, who had 12 points in the first quarter on 5 of 7 shooting. And he was actually getting in the paint. It wasn't like, you know, just picturing like Moses Brown snagging five offensive rebounds and throwing it back up. These were some cold, hard penetrations going in at two guys, giving off his signature baby hook he gave up like two of those just in the first quarter alone so a lot of variety from him and it really helped out because without him they would have been down double digits without a doubt there was no one else who could replicate him on either side of the court through the first quarter but I think the crucial mistake that the Vipers kind of made was entering quarter two they kind of were a little bit more lax on Moses Brown, and you simply cannot do that, so they kind of were poking the bear, I guess you could say, and he just got right into the mix of things. He started out with two quick baskets right inside, right where he needs to go, getting all the boards that he wants, and it kind of just put not just him on the map, but every single person on the map, in particular, Alexi Pokachevsky. We have not seen him go off at all in Orlando for the most part. He's had little flashes here, but he has not had a patch of more than a minute to two minutes where it's excellent. He had an excellent second quarter in this game. He could have made a hoop mixtape, number one, five million views in a year kind of deal. You know, he looked like LaMelo Ball, Chino Hills, any of the Ball Brothers. Yeah, you put him on right now, he's going viral. So what ended up happening in this second quarter Alexei Pogachevsky first, he launched off a no-look jump pass, and it's something that we've seen from him before through, you know, tapes um, from his days before joining the Thunder. He may, I mean, he still does no-look passes. There probably were some while he's playing for, uh, for the big leagues with the Thunder here, but, you know, this pass was crisp as hell. He gets up to the free throw line, able to pretty much bait two defenders. You got a guy on the right wing doesn't even look at him. He just strolls up, and Pokachevsky, we've seen it. He just kind of gets into a shot out of nowhere and flicks it up. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. So, of course, everyone's going to be baited. No one thought he was passing this thing. But then he gets up to the apex and just flings it back out. That is an easy money three. And it just it must have got his confidence going because he kept right 
at it. Finishes off with a beautiful reverse layup, and it wasn't like he just gets the ball down low and just flips it right over, you know, the other side. This was like a running start going full coast on the baseline, flinging right around. Looked like a 2K kind of layup where you're like, how did that guy do that? Yeah, that's what Alexei Pokachevsky did right there. But it did not top the play that he had a little bit later where he's strolling up the court in transition and he ends up putting the ball around his back, spins the ball around his body. I mean, he pretty much played hide and seek because it's like hidden behind his back for a little bit. And then he goes up for the layup, keeps the same amount of pace on him. So he only has like three or four steps for where he's at the three-point line and just right around the basket. And he just flips it up and in. That is some elite stuff right there. And that's exactly why Sam Presti took a flyer on him. So that was a golden quarter from him. And he also was just able to get some threes going as well. So nothing, nothing has topped what Pokachevsky did right there. That was a moment of greatness for him and it helped out because the blue they went from being down one to being up 10 at halftime they were up 62 to 52 and they had a lot of points inside they were able to get the lid off of the interior you know since the vipers were so heavy on it they had 42 of their 62 points right around the cup and they kept doing that going into the third quarter as well because that's where they got their first 24 of 27 points. And you're wondering, when did that, you know, three points come into, into play? Was it off the free throw line? Was it off of an and one, like a couple of them? No, no, it was not. It was off of one three, and it was the first made field goal for the Oklahoma City Blue. So they pretty much hit 12 field goals in a row right inside and there was nothing that the vipers could do about it because the okc blue were just out reigning out rebounding them to like smithereens i'll talk about it in the at the very end but oh my goodness they couldn't buy a rebound for anything so that's how you end up getting that a lot of second chance points coming right around the rim and the valley vipers the only way they thought they could kind of come back was a three-point line and they were just shooting a ton of threes even in the first half Shot a ton more in the third quarter, though. So they were just strolling up, pulling up over and over. They shot 10 threes in the third. Actually, great percentages here. They made five of them. But that's not going to stop the OKC Blue, who are pretty much getting two points every single possession. So it's not really going to get you anywhere. So, yeah, it looked great on, like, on paper and like even watching them. Yeah, they were getting their shots to go. But they were just getting completely ousted by the OKC Blue. There was nothing that was kind of directing my eyes towards them. It was just watching a ton of beautiful layups and beautiful dunks being hammered down inside. So OKC, they had a 16-point lead with three minutes left in the period, and they actually kept it the whole entire way through after that. They were up 95-79 to 79 heading into the fourth quarter. And what'd you know? The Valley Vipers, they needed a ton of points again. Let's go back to three. Why not? That's the only way we're going to do it. I guess it makes sense mathematically, and sure, they got hot. So you can bank on a lot of threes and a lot of stops inside. Yeah, maybe you can cover that sort of distance. They were down a ton in the first period. Maybe you can just do it. Do it in the beginning stages. Do it in the ending stages to try to get 
a W there. And they actually did get a couple of quick threes. I think they got two to go, like in the first one or two minutes. But Rob Edwards had a response. He's always right there when the OKC Blue need him. In the last game, he had four threes in a span of about four minutes. And I think it was like the ending of the first, beginning of the second. Beginning of the second, he gets two threes in the first two minutes. He did that again against the Valley Vipers. And I kind of just shut them off because, I mean, hey, now you're down like what? 19 points to that yeah I think it was 19 points they were down and they kept shooting but they never had the same success again so the OKC Blue were able to get as high as a 23 point lead in the fourth quarter kind of just let off a little bit at the ending of the game the Vipers made a good enough push they only lost by 11 here as stated 125 to 114 but wow what an effort by the Blue. Seemed like the odds may have kind of shifted away from them after a kind of poor performance to close out the first. But they got their act together and they got it through the man, the myth, the legend, the Serbian assassin, Alexei Pokachevsky. So you got to tip off your hat to him. The Vipers, they still had a couple of good guys for them. They made 72 of their 114 points off of the three so everyone I'm going to be listing they got it going from downtown I mean when you're looking at that right there 72 out of 114 that's 62 percent of their points coming from three took them 56 attempts to get that though that's ultimately why they ended up losing Broderick Thomas was a beast for them he is a two-way player for the Houston Rockets right now he's been getting elevated up and brought back down just depending on like the injuries going on with the squad now he's in Orlando and he had a game high of 27 points on 7 of 12 shooting from the field. A lot of those shots coming from downtown. And Kevin Porter Jr., he had a lot of his shots going from downtown too. But it was on pretty bad numbers. Kevin Porter Jr. did not look like a star. He had some nice looking step backs. You could just tell he kind of was in another rhythm. He was like ISOing anytime he wanted to. Looking pretty soaky with it. But you're shooting 6 of 20 on the game. So maybe it's not as beautiful as it appeared. Blue were able to lock him down and cut off the number one option. Got to look towards Broderick Thomas, who was great. But outside of those two, they didn't really have that same sort of kick, make your own offense kind of players to help bolster their squad and try to get a W. The OKC Blue, they definitely do have that. And it's not just one or two players. You can go to like five, six guys who can be the number one option in any given game. And it's probably going to be even more. I mean, let's just be real here. Anyways, I mean, it didn't start with just one dude to begin with. I think it was a group effort and it started on the glass. The rest of the offense kind of just spoke for itself because the blue out rebounded the vipers 72 to 39 in this game and they almost had as many offensive rebounds as they had defensive rebounds the blue had 25 offensive rebounds the vipers had 31 defensive rebounds are you kidding me i don't think i've ever seen that and when i was looking through the stats i could not believe my eyes that is an eye-popping kind of accomplishment that you're not going to see anywhere else except for blue basketball. And it started with guys 
such as Moses Brown, who literally out-rebounded their whole entire team when it came to offensively. He had 11 offensive rebounds. Their whole entire team, they just had six. And Mo Brown, it wasn't just offensive rebounds. Of course, you're going to get defensive rebounds in there. He had five of those, so you get 16 rebounds, and you still get your double-double with 13 points on six of 13 shooting. A lot of firepower from the offense, though, and it started from Xavier Simpson. Told you about how he had the hot hand in the first. He kept it going. Nobody could cool him off. He had 24 points on mainly runners and those baby hooks I was talking about. Pretty efficient when it came down to that. And he almost got a triple-double. Got a double-double here because he had 11 rebounds, but he had 7 assists on the day for the OKC Blue. And Alexei Pokachevsky was right behind him when it came down to getting those shots. I already mentioned how he's probably going to be on SportsCenter come tomorrow morning for all those crazy plays he was making. But... I mean, he had 19 points on 8 of 16 shooting. We have not seen him crack the 50% mark when he shoots more than like five times. So you need to look at that like really seriously. That's a major deal with Pokachevsky. And all his shots look really fluid. They're all great looks. No, you know, crappy shooting in three people's faces kind of deal. Yeah, all these were high quality looks. That's why he shot very well with the basketball. And he still had 10 rebounds to get himself a double-double right here. Not to mention four assists, including that no-look pass that he had. You get all that in just 29 minutes of playing time. He wasn't shying away from anything. I mean, that's nothing new from him. We all know he has a lot of confidence when it comes down to shooting it. Just depending on how, how open he is, uh, really drives the force on how he's playing but yeah he's never looked any better and I'd probably consider this to like I think it was the Spurs game in the preseason he had some great numbers he had like 11 points maybe like 10 rebounds it, it was close to this kind of stat line right here and everyone was hyping it up yeah it, it's definitely deserved because everything he was doing was positive for the team normally you'll see him and you kind of look at it like wow he is not being very efficient but that's kind of what just comes with him in that Spurs game he was not missing and he was coming off screens just popping it from downtown popping it from mid-range making it go in same thing happened in here but there was a lot more inside play and that's something we have not seen from Pokachevsky in a good while here Pokachevsky has kind of lingered towards the three and just standing still. He's not as aggressive as he kind of was coming into the season. This was the most aggressive I've ever seen him play, and I'm not even kidding. It's it's so far ahead of any other performance I've seen from him, and it's such a good game to build off of. And when you have a 19-year-old who clearly has been having a lot of ups and downs, confidence has been a major benefactor or just factor in general. Getting a game like this you need to take advantage of it. And I know Coach Gibbs is going to continue to make him an option. He wants him shooting a lot more. And as long as you're giving him wide open looks and, you know, not pressuring him into bad shots, I'd expect this kind of production to stay for how long. We don't really know. Just really excited to see Pokachevsky finally get things going and heat up to the Orlando weather. Ty Jerome, too. 
he was great. It wasn't, you know, any game-winner kind of performance like he had in the last game, but he was still great. 14 points, 5 of 15 shooting, and he had 6 assists as well but he did a great job kind of assessing what was going on with the vipers defense he was looking at the entire floor whenever he was making plays you're not that fast so you need to use some other factors in order to play the point guard at any high level and that's exactly what he was doing so he saw you know these tiny discrepancies in the defense and he was just running with it in particular there was a play where i think it may have also been close to a no look pass but he threw like an over-the-shoulder pass. He was around the left wing, uh, and there was a man wide open in the right corner, so didn't give any attention to him. Looked like he was just going to try to stroll inside again. Nope, swoops it right over with the left hand, dots him over in the corner, and that is a wide-open three for you. So he was doing a lot of that kind of stuff, and he was still trying to work in on the insides here. Did a lot more on the three-point arc, though. He hit two just straight-up limitless three-pointers, and he had this corner three, right corner here, right off an inbound. You got, like, two guys swarming you. You don't have much room. He pretty much got the ball because you're about to get a five count, and now, look, you're you're in a really bad situation. Now, five-minute time restriction, a little more than that, but he was essentially just trapped right there. He just catches it, and right before he, you know, saw that he was going to get trapped, and like a second before it was going to come into fruition, he just chucked up this three, and it was nothing but net right there. Absolute swish. That was in the final parts of the game, and I think that was kind of the dagger if it was not already just slain right into the Vipers. Omer Yurt 7 was really good, too. I would also kind of throw him in this Moses Brown category because he got a double-double again. These centers just keep getting double-doubles. Nobody can stop the seven-footers in the G League. He had 14 points on six of eight shooting to go along with 13 rebounds. Three of those came on offense. And another guy who I thought was really great was Antonius Cleveland. Now, I've always praised him as this perimeter-centric kind of player because that's really what he has been. He loves sitting in the corner just getting threes to go, and he shoots it at an amazing rate. But he has been driving in more often in these past coming games, but he hasn't been going up for these crazy dunks until today, and that's exactly what he did. He had a one-handed throwdown in transition. This guy's flying from, like, I don't even know how many feet away, but it was a pretty long distance going for the dunk contest right there. And then he had a beautiful windmill coming in from the left side of the floor. Just the icing on the cake for him. You know, Chasson Randall, he got picked up. 28-year-old point guard showing some pretty good versatility, I would say, from the three, penetrating inside and even passing. Antonius Cleveland's just like that, except he's a three or a four here. He can stretch the floor out for you and sneaky athleticism. I didn't even know he could pull this kind of crap off in, you know, an open shoot-around let alone in a game. So maybe if anyone needs a small forward or power forward down the line, Antonius Cleveland should be really looked at here. I know this wasn't his most impressive performance in terms of points, but it was still a hell of a game for him. Jalen Horde and Rob Edwards were great too. They paired right along with the double-double crew. I think, I don't know if I mentioned, but Cleveland, he had 13 points. Horde had 11 
and Rob Edwards had 12. Horde got his a lot more inside. That's really just how he is as a player. He's not shooting a lot. He loves driving and trying to absorb contact and ultimately fouls. And Edwards, he likes just being outside. So he was letting it fly from outside, and that's where he got most of his 12 points. So the Blue, they're sitting really great right now. They still got a chance to be the number one team in the league, depending on if the uh, Delaware Bluecoats fall. And once they do, it's going to be an absolute race for the number one seed because there's going to be four people with a 6-1 record or whatever it may be, just one-loss teams. And the OKC Blue, you don't want to under underestimate them but uh, or us underestimate their opponent, I should say. But they're playing against the Iowa Wolves tomorrow. This is going to be the second game of a back-to-back. -back. So hopefully no wear and tear is shown. We don't see much fatigue. But the Wolves are the worst team in the G League, and they are the only winless squad left. They are 0-7. They've been close in some games, but they've never been able to finish it off. That's kind of the exact opposite for the Blue. They have been able to finish off close games and a lot of times blowouts pretty easily. Only time they uh, struggled was against the G League Ignite, but they have two losses right now, so they're out of this conversation anyways. Will be a fun one to watch, so I highly encourage you guys to try to tune in on that one. So many great guys to be watching here. Uh, you don't want to miss any of the action because this is a pretty short season. Luckily for you guys, the OKC Thunder, they have a little bit of a longer season. They just played their 30th of 72 games on Sunday, going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and both teams pretty ice cold coming into this one the okc thunder had dropped the last five of six and are currently or were currently on a three game losing streak while the cleveland cavaliers they lost nine in a row so neither side wanted to keep falling i think one thing that you know was a little bit irking i guess going into this one is how this was going to be like a a game to settle like lottery selections like every single game has to come down to ping pong balls it that shouldn't be the case and neither side played like that at all both sides they put up a solid fight in the end though okc ended up taking the victory they ended up winning 117 to 101 against the cavaliers but i'm not saying that the Cavs didn't put up any sort of effort because they 100 percent did with the win, the Thunder advanced to 12-18 and 18 on this season, finally getting back into the win column. And for the Cavaliers, I mean, they are still super-duper cold. Tenth loss in a row. They went from a glorious 10-10 on the season to 10-20, so I think they may rule out getting up to 500 at least for right now. It's going to be a long process trying to maybe recollect themselves after what was a very surprising and solid start for the young Cavaliers squad. However, out the gate, the Cavs look great. They look like they're 10 and 10 selves because they could not miss from the floor. Specifically, I'm talking point guard Colin Sexton. He had the team's first seven points on the night, and he was a major reason why the Cavs were able to mount a 20 to 10 lead on the Thunder early. Isaac Okoro, too. Rookie. 
highly regarded. He chipped in with a couple of baskets as well. So a lot of their young pieces were hoping to build a pretty quick double-digit lead. However, the Thunder were having absolutely none of that. They shifted gears on the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they went on a 21-8 run off of 9 of 11 shooting to help capture the lead 31-28 to through the first quarter. And I want to say in the first, the officials, they just had the air in the whistle the whole entire time. They were calling anything remotely close to contact as just a foul. They called six fouls in the quarter, and it actually helped the Thunder a lot more than it helped the Cavaliers because, as I mentioned, I mean, Thunder getting on a 21-8 to run, you're wondering how they're getting all these shots to go and how they're doing it on such an efficient 9-11 of shooting. It comes from penetrations, just relentless attacks at the basket. And when you got guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Hamadou Diallo charged up for you every single game, you're going to get a lot of contact inside, and they're going to be able to take it. So the refs were calling foul after foul. Shea was getting his, but how about Hamadou Diallo? He had seven points in the first quarter, three of three shooting. All those came inside, but there was an and one trickled right in there. So that's how you were able to see the Thunder make a big statement whenever it looked like they may be in for a long night. In the second quarter, though, I mean, you're talking guys like Hamadou Diallo again playing big the OKC bench was just balling out their second unit the breakfast club as some may call them has been really just propped up and for good reason I mean they have been a great kind of just booster to the team I mean back whenever the thunder was down and they were the ones having to climb back into games like in the second quarter the breakfast club always saved them and I mean, as we've seen, it's kind of a different trend now. Like, the Thunder will be up double digits and it may slip away. It's whatever. It didn't happen in this game because the Breakfast Club helped score the first 17 points in the quarter for the Thunder. And it got them on a pretty solid run. Came off of three guys in particular. Diallo, Muscala, and Isaiah Roby. So, Diallo, he kept going inside for his buckets Mike Muscala, he's sitting around the perimeter getting any wide open shot that he wants. I mean, just got to go into his hands. He'll splash it. And then Isaiah Roby, who was doing a lot of the dirty work to begin the second quarter. He was literally sacrificing himself. Like, he was going for a screen or not a screen. He was going for a charge attempt around the, uh, the half court line here in transition. So you got Colin Sexton just like speeding up the court. Roby's trying to get set. So he's sliding over. And he just takes an absolute shot to uh, to the nuts. I'll just say it. I mean, he just got completely creamed right there. He ended up falling on the ground. He was in agony for a while there. I mean, he just went like jumping on the floor. And yeah, I mean, when you get hit there, that's kind of what happens. So... He was a little bit rattled, and then, like, it was actually called the foul because he was moving. So, it, yeah, there were some free throws for the Cavaliers. Roby had to walk up over there, and uh, you could tell he was definitely in pain. So, yeah, I mean, even after that, he was still balling out. And before that, I mean, he was having to go up against Jared Allen at the 5, who has a clear advantage on him, height, weight. Whatever. I mean, he's just snagging and flipping shots right back up. So he's having to take a lot of shots. And boxing out a guy like Allen 
is very, very difficult. So you just have to kind of have a fight right there. Pretty big one, I would say, at the uh, beginning stages of the second. And he actually made a really smart play that I loved from him. Jared Allen, he got an offensive rebound, just a simple snag. Gets a post spin off on Roby. So he has a clear shot at the basket. You just got to rise up and lay it in. Or, you know, he probably, he probably could have just dunked it. But Roby was not going to let that happen. As soon as the spin was successful, he got both of his arms and just gave him a straight bear hug. He tries going up, ball goes flying. That's a shooting foul. Jared Allen can earn his points at the line. You'd rather let him try to get shots there than give him a free layup. Because, of course, that's going in. It's Jared Allen. I mean, anyone, for the most part in the NBA, should be able to make a one-foot layup or dunk. So, I like that from Roby. Loved how he was just... Doing all the dirty work necessary. Not to mention you got Kenrich Williams too. So it's a two uh, dynamic duo, I guess you could say, to kick things off. And, I mean, the Thunder starters, as soon as they checked in, they had that same kind of presence as well because they were able to plug in and help get the lead up as high as 12. Ended up being 62-51 to 51 by halftime, but you still got a nice double-digit lead. Cleveland... They made an attempt to match the Breakfast Club's kind of style of nitty-gritty, like getting right down in your face play. They were just trying to work straight up inside. I mean, 10 of their 18 shots in the second came in the paint, but nothing was working out for them. So that's why you saw them slip up and be down double digits right there. And I think it was a lot of lousy play from the Cavs too because the Thunder, I mean, they were given some free chances here. Cavaliers had 10 turnovers, a lot of sloppy passes, and then they also were just hacking at everybody. They had 12 fouls. How much of that is due to the refs just calling everything? I don't know, but there was definitely contact that they were throwing a lot more than the Thunder side was, so it, it was very costly for them. And when you got people like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Diallo, as I mentioned, you're going to get to the line. SGA, I mean, he was just running wild. He had eight free throw attempts in the half, and... The Cavaliers, as a collective, they only had 13, so, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty telling sign, at least that's what I would consider that. Anyways, in the third quarter, I mean, you still got SGA straight up balling, and for the Cavaliers, you got your stars, you would say, in uh, Jared Allen and, and Darius Garland just balling out. Colin Sexton was nice, too. I think he had four points in the third, but it was really just Jared Allen and Darius Garland hooping out for them so SGA he had 10 points alone in the third quarter and it wasn't just like the simple yeah we're getting to the line layups yeah he was going for a lot of step backs actually so he was looking at the perimeter when the perimeter was not there that's when he went inside and tried to attack and it worked it was too easy for Shea Gilgis Alexander and for the Cleveland Cavaliers and their head guys I mean, Jared Allen, I'd probably say the same thing. It's, it's really easy for him to get the rebound and just put it right back up. So he had eight points in the quarter, pretty much just off of that. And Darius Garland had six points off of trying to push the pace. And actually, in like the final minute of the quarter, just a lot of pandemonium happened. Like threes going in from SGA, and then Garland would go swoop in for a layup. That's how you saw some of those points from Garland and SGA as well. But yeah. A lot of just offense in the final minutes to help prop up some of their individual stats, but still very solid from them. Was not enough to even change the margin of a lead for the Thunder because 
They were still up 11 points. They were up 86 to 75. So the Cavaliers, they needed a statement. And they needed it soon in order to get the W. And it didn't work out because, you know how I was telling you about the Breakfast Club? Yeah, they came back again. So Mike Muscala, he is in the conversation yet again. He gets five points in the first three minutes. And he may have had the play of the game, actually. So he gets his typical three you're really not too wild by that it's a great shot but it's Mike Muscala so we're a bit spoiled the shot that's kind of wild is there was a long uh long offensive rebound opportunity ball ends up going front iron and Mike Muscala he's getting like posted up by Dylan Windler who's like a guard he came out of Belmont whatever he's like backpedaling into the body of Mike Muscala he somehow gets the ball and he's taking steps back. So the refs, they didn't want to call anything. That's the one play. They didn't call anything. They let physicality and just, I don't even know, happen. But anyways, I mean, he's having to work backwards. He doesn't want to lose his steps and get what would obviously be a travel. So he just shoots it right up, gives a nice push shot, and it goes around the rim like a various amount of times from the TV screen it looked like there was almost an offensive goaltending or someone must have tapped it in because it was hanging up there for that long and there were a lot of guys who didn't think it was going in so everyone had their heads right at the rim but it somehow was good to go I've never seen that kind of circus shot probably ever watching I think the biggest circus shot I've seen live was Trevor Booker but I don't even want to talk about that whenever he played for the Jazz, and got that nice, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like scoop shot, I don't even know, like not looking at the basket, just tapping it up, that was crazy, Mike Muscala's shot was pretty good though, I don't know if I'd consider it as good as uh, Trevor Booker's, anyways, yeah, that happened, and then you even had guys like Teo Maladon helping out, and I don't know if you want to consider him a member of the Breakfast Club, because he's starting now, but he still was great, he had two quick triples, to help give a 13-5 run. That caused a lot of chaos for the Cavaliers. They were down 20 at one point in the game. So they wanted to try to make some strides to get back in. And, I mean, they still were getting some shots to fall in, but it was not enough to levy a comeback. So they got it down, as mentioned, to 16. 117-101 is the final score. A lot of great moments for the Cavs, just not nearly enough for them. They had a real dangerous trio in Jarrett Allen, Colin Sexton, and Darius Garland here. But outside of that, not much uh, other support, I would say. Isaac Okoro had 12, but no other players got double digits in the game. And Jarrett Allen, he ended up probably, in my book, being the player of the game for their side he had 26 points on 11 of 11 shooting the only spot that he missed anything from was the free throw line he shot four of seven so hey maybe Roby was right in opting to foul him instead of getting him to 12 for 12 from the field but yeah just a lot of Moses Brown kind of plays I'd like to put it the ball goes right to him off the glass all he has to do is just snag it and you're left wide open with the layup so you take the layup and you get two points get back on the other end you're good to go and he got 17 rebounds to help out with that cost too and it came with nine 
offensive rebounds. So he was absolutely starring on the glass. And just like Moses Brown out-rebounded the entire Vipers team today, Jared Allen out-rebounded the entire Thunder team today because they only had five offensive rebounds. So there you go with Jared Allen. He was very nice though. I think he was the main threat. I don't know why JB Bickerstaff didn't just make him the center of the offense the whole time because it probably would have worked out very well. He was too quick for Al Horford, too tall for Isaiah Roby. That's your guy. That's your number one option, but they didn't want to do that. The number one option, I guess it was kind of split between Sexton and Garland. I'd probably give Sexton the edge though because he shot 22 times. He went 11 for 22 though, so very good for him. And he led the team with 27 points. So it wasn't that bad. Only issue for him was he was one of six from three. So they wanted to go inside. I mean, that's just a trend that they all kind of had. They're one of the worst shooting teams. They love working inside. And I think actually they uh, they shoot the closest from the basket compared to any other team. I saw that on Fox Sports Oklahoma pregame. So I'm a run with it. But anyways, yeah, they love taking shots inside. Colin Sexton penetration master that's where you saw him for most of the game he wasn't passing a ton only had three assists and he had four turnovers so turnovers was a big issue and the guards couldn't even irk out any sort of production there and Darius Garland he had 21 points on 7 of 14 shooting 2 of 5 from downtown and he got a lot of trips to the line he was 5 of 6 from there a lot better than Sexton when it came to passing he had eight assists on the game only two turnovers so that was kind of the golden boy when it came to who should be taking up the basketball sexton was the one who was doing that duty for most of the game though and maybe that's what ended up hurting them i, I don't know i think ultimately the problem was they didn't have enough options because sure you got three guys who nobody could really stop but whenever they're off the floor who's gonna help you out okoro he tried he shot 4 of 12 and 4 of 11 from 3, so he was just hunched out waiting for shots, and they weren't falling high enough for, to give you a real standing chance. And you got other people like Shetty Osman, who he had 6 points as a starter, but he shot 0 of 8 from downtown, so there was nobody to spot up for you. And even off the bench, there was little help whatsoever. They only had, what, 9 bench points that's pretty atrocious I, I mean in their defense they only had four guys off the bench so they're a little short-handed but come on now even when the thunder were playing with eight guys all the time they got more than that Hamadou Diallo just by himself gave you more than that so I'm not giving him a pass at all bench play really ended up hurting them and just the lack of uh diversity from some of their other members outside the key three it stung big time, and that's what ended up costing them the entire game. For Oklahoma City, a lot of great guys helping to contribute, so there you go with that. And it started with the defensive side of things because the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were forcing so many bad turnovers. They had 15 turnovers on the game, and it led to a lot of free baskets for the Thunder. They had 19 points off of those turnovers so you can't start with that you got amazing players on the squad like Lou Dort like Kenrich Williams who are gonna snag any loose ball they can I mean Kenrich Williams had four in this so really costly to make those subtle errors that 
sometimes will go through. These guys, I mean, this Thunder group, it, 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 you can't get that. You know, there's no holes that you can really exploit here. Maybe inside you can, but in the passing lane, in open space, there's way too many threats. And on the offensive side of ball, you got way too many threats as well. And it started with Shea Gilgis Alexander. There was a question post-game where SJ was asked, or not SJ, Mark Dagnault actually was asked about whether or not Shea should be in the all-star conversation. And his answer was great. I mean, he said that most of the time, I mean, he never thinks about it. He just assesses his team. But after games, he whenever he thinks, he thinks SGA is the best player on the floor the majority of the time. So if that's not an all-star, I don't know what else is. Totally agree with that here. He was the best man on the court. He led the entire game with 31 points on 9 of 15 shooting and 3 of 3 from downtown off of all step backs pretty much. And he got to the line too. 12 attempts, hit 10 of them. What are you doing, Cleveland Cavaliers? Referees helping out big time. You take it. And SGA looked like an absolute superstar. And he also almost got a double-double because he had nine assists and even had four rebounds to go with that too. And SGA has just continued to improve. And there was a stat where like if SGA doesn't average 20 points, he's dropping 30. Well, hey, maybe there's some merit to that because he's getting 31. And he wanted to be the leader. He's coming off this knee injury, and he's had some issues settling in. This was the game where I believe he kind of broke out, and he's like, I'm back to my true self. Let's go. Let's get a W. This cold streak, we're putting it behind us. Let's get some more Ws and get us on the 14th seed in the Western Conference. That's a good start right here with him. I mean, he was the number one uh, player the whole way through when he was playing, and he definitely deserved it. The Cleveland Cavaliers had no... A uh, real stoppage for him, and it was because just how dangerous he has become when driving inside. He's able to take so many defenders, and whenever people on the defensive side commit a foul, they may kind of step back and imagine, oh, SJ's given up, but he keeps going. He was so great whenever the backs were kind of against the wall in terms of the possession-by-possession possession basis. Like There was a play, there's no time left on the clock, SGA is stuck on the right wing. He got Osman right in front of him. You're not getting a good look at all. You're going to get smothered. So what does SGA, SGA do? He pulls up like he's just going to go up for a shot. He fakes it. He gets Osman airborne, and he just jumps right into him. That's an easy three free throws. You get it out of nowhere. You weren't going to get any points unless he did something like that. So veteran moves from him. He tried a lot more than that to try to bait fouls. Some of them worked. Some of them did not, but majority of the time, they ended up working. And going in, I mean, it's working out too for him. He's one of the best drivers, and what that leads to is a lot of people trying to contest the man, and he will just pass it out to the wide-open man for the shot. He ended up getting 9 of those 22-team assists. You keep the 20-plus assist streak alive with him pretty much single-handedly helping out there so good on SGA this is probably one of his best performances this season I'd say for the month probably I don't know outside of that I know he has dropped more than 31 this year there's been a couple of 30 plus pieces so you need to break it down but I mean if there was a real statement that he should be in the all-star game this was the game right here and Zach Levine had a similar situation like this. I think it was yesterday or two days ago. He gets 35 points. 
and people were doubting him. Now, Levine's like, yeah, everyone's thinking he's a lock for a starter. SGA's doing the same thing. Is he going to get that similar treatment from the media tomorrow and whenever the results come out? I have no clue. It's going to be close, but come on now, folks. This man is an absolute all-star. Behind him, Al Horford was not too shabby either. He had 16 points on 7 of 12 shooting, 2 of 4 from downtown. He was getting wide open off of the pick and pops. Jared Allen was kind of just letting him do whatever he wanted, and he made him pay. Didn't do it too often, but it worked, so he ended up getting 6 points pretty much free off of that right there, and still working on the interior. It's a part of his game that he's looking to open up and kind of revert back to again outside of just being that pure stretch five that he's looked at sometimes and even on the boards I mean Jared Allen just outclassed him right he he ends up getting 17 but Al Horford's still getting eight and he only played 28 minutes so you got to tip your cap off to him a little bit there but how about how he's been playing on defense this is a little bit shocking but it seems like he's always getting in on the mix when it comes to playing defense he gets three blocks some games and then the next game he'll get you four steals this one he might have been just a little bit quieter but he still managed to end up getting two steals on the game and he almost averages one steal for the season that's crazy to me he's averaging 0.9 steals and 0.9 blocks so he's switching off every single game where he's going to kind of be in attack mode but he's always been a pleasant addition to the defensive end so to any contender out there who needs someone who can shoot for you play inside get your rebounds and get your steals and blocks at the five you may want to look towards Al Horford as an option so he was great I think he may have been overshadowed a bit by Jared Allen and I'd say deservingly but it definitely was not a bad game for the 34 year old you also had Teo Maladone in this starting unit again he was amazing, 14 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 3 of 4 from deep, he is unconscious from there, I don't know what it is and like why teams want to just give him open looks over and over again, but he's going to be shooting 50% from 3 before you know it when teams just don't care about him, he's a real threat from 3 and I'm not saying it's his like best trait because playmaking is his number one trait, he's one of the most elite passers in this entire draft class I've stressed it since draft day and I'm sticking with it he doesn't have to do it a lot because SGA is the man but because of that now he's more of a shooter and he's been great didn't shoot a lot when he played in France kind of uh just a penetrator and he didn't play all that much as well so a little limited and you didn't know exactly what he turned out to be from deep but he has been very very good for us so I want to see Maladone continue to do this. I think this was a tie for second best performance of his career in terms of points. And it should continue to go up if he's given shots like these. Because he's going to end up bearing them pretty much every single time. Lou Dort as well in the starting unit was amazing. 10 points, 4 of 10 shooting, but 2 of 6 from deep, which is not bad from him. I mean, he's kind of wavering around shooting 40% one game to you know, you don't have to guard him in other ones, so this is maybe a happy medium, obviously you want more, but you can't be too upset with him, and he's, he's just able to clamp up, I mean, he's playing 31 minutes, and, and whenever he's not all there, 
on the offensive side, he makes up for it on defense. He still played solid on offense, but defensively, amazing too. Throw him on whoever, and he will produce. Darius Baisley was one of the only starters, I will say, yeah, he probably was the only starter who was not all that amazing. He ends up getting a new haircut. He's got a uh, straight buzz cut right now, so call him buzz cut Baisley or something. Not the best debut. Four points on two of seven shooting, 0 of one from deep. He had seven rebounds, an assist, and a steal, but I don't know, man. I think he probably shouldn't have asked the barber for that one. A little bit weird. It's going to be an adjusting period watching his hair come back and just seeing him with a buzz cut, but it's a new look, and maybe he's just getting used to it. Um, He might get back into the swing of things later. He had two very amazing games before this, so, you know, drop down a bit. He's going to be back in pure form whenever the Thunder need him in the next game. Off the bench, there were some amazing people to help kind of resolve the issue Baisley may have had tonight. Hamadou Diallo, 15 points on 5 of 5 shooting, and he gets to the free throw line 9 times. Hits 5 of them, but that's still a lot of points you're getting off of just clashing in with other people. And that comes with the refs not really having any sort of aggression being allowed from either side. You see that, you exploit it, you get the results that you want as a team so he gets everything there only two rebounds none on offense today two assists a steal and a block you just get used to diallo playing like this i mean whenever he shoots two of ten everyone's all over him but you don't talk too much whenever he plays like this and you need to you need to praise diallo when he when he has an accomplishment like this so great play by hamadou diallo keep it up man i mean he keeps averaging double digits only been a few times in this like past 10-15 games where he hasn't reached it. But, I mean, other times, he looks like one of the best players. And there were times where he was probably the best player actively on the floor. And Mike Muscala, he was, uh, I'd say, for like a, a couple minutes, the same way too. Where he gets the ball and you know what's going in. He had 13 points on 5 of 11 shooting. 3 of 9 from downtown, and he also collected 5 rebounds, so traditional from him. He always seems to be getting boards, points. I mean, he's more consistent, I would say, than others are. I think now he probably should be averaging 10 points a game. He's been at 9.9 for so long. I've wanted to say he's a double-digit scorer now because I think that might be surprising to some people, but I don't actually know if he's there yet. I'm just going to assume he is because... You're getting 13 here. And he did it in 17 minutes. So he doesn't even play 20 minutes most of the time. And he's still able to be the guy that you need off the bench for you. So great for Mike Muscala. And then you got the two forwards in Isaiah Roby and Kenrich Williams, who also were nice. They had a plus 18 on the plus minus. I don't know how much that actually matters, but I'd say looking off that, they must have been pretty good for you. So Roby, as I mentioned, defensive specialist, when necessary, being the dude who's sacrificing himself. And Kenridge Williams does the exact same thing. He shot way better than Roby. He was 4 of 6 from the field to collect 8 points, 3 rebounds, an assist, and as I said, 4 steals. His reaction time is crazy. I mean, there was a pass, a straight-up errant pass. You can't excuse it, but I think it was Osman who chucked it just to the wrong side of the floor. No one was near him, and everyone was running up for 
you know, probably a set half-court offense, including Williams. Williams, in the corner of his eye, sees Osmond just throw this terrible pass, and he's right over it. I will say there was a bit of air on the ball, so he did have time to recover, but the reaction time, turn around, getting over there, beautiful. That sets up a perfect play, and just getting himself involved everywhere. It's a trait that he has just always had with us. Whenever you give him more minutes, he shows it. Only played 19. I mean, you could seriously start him at the two, and he'd still be amazing for you. He can start for our team, but we don't need him to because we have a 19-year-old who's still dropping 14 points for you. So a lot of depth here with the team, and you still got players such as George Shalala rotation and Justin Jackson, who he's dropped some 20 pieces. He's not even playing. And then you got Pokachevsky, Moses Brown, and Josh Hall, who are in Orlando. So a lot of depth here. Very, very stacked. I will say that for the most part, they had this game under control from the onset. It's because they had way too many guys to worry about. Cleveland, you know, you knew the game plan headed in the fourth quarter. Shut down Allen, shut down Sexton, and shut down Garland. You're good. Allen was still crazy, but it was not going to be enough to stop him. I mean, the Thunder, they were good from three. Cleveland Cavaliers, definitely not as much. OKC was 13 of 28 from deep range, 46%, while the Cavs were 8 of 35, 23%. That is disgusting. When you look at that, that's five extra made threes for the Thunder. 15 more points coming from beyond the arc for the Thunder. That's how you get a lot of things going for you. I think maybe with my Allen stat, like the rebounds, you may just imagine the Cavaliers obliterated them. It really was not like that. The Cavaliers only had a plus five advantage on the boards, 42 to 37, but it was not enough to mean really anything, I would say. Both teams getting 22 assists, as mentioned, and paint play was very big. As I said, like Allen was great in the paint, but so were the OKC Thunder, and they have a chance to continue to be dominant inside as they are going to be playing the Miami Heat tomorrow. They have a second game on a back-to-back -back set going up against the Heat in the Chesapeake Energy Arena. This one will be very, very interesting because, I mean, the Heat, they own, or the, the Thunder own their pick. So you want the Heat to lose this, make that a little bit better for you. Heat have got into a bit of a role here. They were at one point looking as bad as the Thunder and Rockets. Now they've shifted gears and I think they beat the Lakers on prime time or something. So they probably are feeling it. Maybe the Thunder can shut them down and get their hopes up while dropping down the heat and potentially spiral them out of control yet again. So hope for that. We will see. Other than that though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.